Well, all right, we've been in this series the last three weeks, and this is our final week in this series called The Church Defined, is we've been really asking this big question, why are we here? Why do we exist? Not just in the context of this past season, which is the churches look different. We all know that. We all feel that. We can even feel it here this morning as we wear our mask. The church is different. But what is the church? What is our mission? Also, in this context of a new ministry season, as we refocus or refix our, our focus on what we are to do and what we are called to do, I love clarity. Anybody love clarity? I love clarity. I love to know what's expected of me. I love to know where I'm going. And so this past season, we've been walking through that and discovering our clarity, our vision as a church. And just really quickly, one of the things we've been doing regularly is that we have a, the app called YouVersion Bible App, and in there you can go to events and you can actually follow along with our notes and our scriptures. You can actually create your own notes and save them on your phone through your account. And so that's available to you if you ever want to log into that and you can follow along with us there. But the theme verse we've been really driving home is, is Proverbs 28, 29, 18, where it says, if my people can't see what God is doing, what happens? They, they stumble all over the place, right? They stumble all over themselves. When they can't, but when they attend to what God reveals, what he reveals, they are most blessed. And we know that, right? When you can't see where you're going, we're in a new home now. And, and when it's in, at night, I don't, I don't know the lay of the land yet. So when I can't see where I'm going, I, I can stumble all over the place, right? We need a vision of where we're going to go in order to see where we are walking. And, and so we as a church need a vision, not just for our lives individually, but for us as a church corporately. What is our vision? Where is God leading us to? And when we see that, we are most blessed. This is what the psalmist says, right? We're, we're blessed. And we're not talking about wealth and health, but we're talking about the sense of fulfillment, the sense of contentment. Another word we use is this sense of joy, that we, are, we have the joy set before us. We know where we are going. But how do we get that? How do we see that? How do we experience that? Well, we read in David, he writes that you, God, will show me the way of life. You, God, show me the way of life, granting me joy in your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Come on, when we follow God, when we stay in his presence, when we stay close to God, not only does he fill us with joy, but he shows us the way of life. He shows us which path to walk. And how many people need God to show you where to walk these days? Come on, we need the presence of God to direct our steps, to direct our path and light up our way. And so today we have been leaning into that for the last four weeks. And even throughout the summer as the leadership team gathered week after week, we've been praying, God, would you show us the pathway in which we are to walk as a church? Show us what it looks like as a church in this community. What is the vision for our Church, and we believe God gave us that. We believe that God gave us this vision to lead people into an overflowing relationship with Jesus. That is the focus of why we exist. Everything we do, right, leads to that end. How many people know we're not an entertainment business, right? We're not a social club. Those things are benefits, and those are the react. Those are the kind of the the uh, the overflow of this. But ultimately, we are here every day when we gather as a church, whatever it's a life group or youth group or Sunday morning experience, whatever we do, whether it's a missions opportunity, is to lead people into what an overflowing relationship with Jesus. That overflowing relationship. What does that mean? You got to be filled first, right? You got to be filled first. To overflowing. Romans 15, 13 is this anchor verse that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. This process of growth, this process of trust that you may lead so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about these four steps. I'm doing a quick recap. If you're new for the first time, you're going to have to go back and watch these messages if you so choose. But here's just a quick recap of these four steps that we walked through. The first was to experience life. 
We want you to experience life. We believe that that's the first step in the journey is to experience life. We want you to come into a Sunday morning gathering and we want you to experience life. We experience life in worship, experience life in community with others. But more importantly, we want you to experience Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want you to experience Jesus. And how many people know you can't just experience Jesus once. You need to experience Jesus all the time, anew and afresh, because it's a relationship. And the relationship is growing and thriving the more you get to know Jesus. I believe deep down in my bones that Jesus changes everything. I know Jesus changes everything, but sometimes there's a hole in my bucket, and I forget that, right? I forget that because I, when I look at this, a situation, when I, when I read a news article, when I, when I have a conversation with a loved one, I get overwhelmed and I get full of anxiety and I forget that Jesus changes everything and I need to bring this to Jesus. I need to experience life today in Jesus. So that's the first step we want people to do. That's the first step I'm inviting you on and inviting myself on. The second is to live in community. The writer of Hebrews says to motivate one another and to encourage one another. Don't, you've got to think of ways. You've got to be creative. Be creative in ways to motivate. Be creative in ways to encourage one another, to love and good works, to acts of love and good works. How many people know we are better together? We're better together. We need people around us to encourage us. Some of us have the enough internal motivation to do it, but how many people know that, that runs dry too? And we need some external motivation. We need some external encouragement. Someone to encourage us along the way and stand with us. There will be moments where you need people and other moments when people need you. And so we need to live in community as a church. That's where the fruits of the Spirit can grow in other. Where they have someone else we can invest time into. And the third is to discover our purpose. We talked about this last Sunday that we realize that we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in what? In advance for you to do. Come on, what's that mean? It means you were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created on purpose. You might, you might have been unplanned, but you were not an accident. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And as a church, as a community, it's helping each other discover what that purpose is, isn't it? It's helping us live out that purpose every day because our purpose is unique individually, but also combined collectively, we get to serve a purpose together as we lead people in an overflow and relationship with Jesus. And today we're going to discuss the fourth step of the, of the discipleship process, which is called make a difference. And how many people know this is where the overflow takes place, right? This is where the overflow of all that has been growing inside of me, all that is Jesus has been made known to me, is happening externally. It's happening around me. It's happening in my home. It's happening in conversations with my kids and my spouse. It's happening when I'm at work. It's happening when I'm at the grocery store. The overflow, we're making a difference. We're making a Jesus-sized difference in the lives of those around us. And this is the invitation. It's not just about me, right? It's not just about me experiencing life, living in community, discovering my purpose, but it's about helping others also do the same. And so we're going to discuss what does it mean for us as a church to make a difference. But I've been asking myself a rather honest question lately, and I don't know if it's a question you've asked yourself. It's not a new question. It's a question I've asked myself many times before. I, I remember asking this in high school before I went on my very first mission trip, scared out of my mind, going on my very first mission trip to Wawa, Ontario. You remember, anybody been to Wawa, Ontario? A, wa, a town so nice, they named it twice. That's, what, that's on the sign. Big old goose, you know. 
Nervous. I think I was in grade 10. Didn't know what to expect. Never been on a mission trip before. I remember asking this question. I remember asking this question on my way to college in British Columbia, Abbotsford, British Columbia, driving up the big windy hill, going up to the college on the top, and thinking to myself, well, you know, asking myself this question. I remember the days leading up to my wedding day with my wife, like, you know, asking this question. I remember the days, the day my, my boys were born, my, twin, my sons were born. I remember asking this question. I, I remember asking this question anytime a new opportunity or anytime a new challenge presents itself. And how many people know we're leading through some pretty challenging times right now? And so this question has popped itself multiple times. And I wonder if this is a question you've asked yourself. And here's the question. Do I have what it takes? Have you ever asked that question before? Do I, do I have what it takes? Can I do this? Is what I have enough? And can I really, can I, really me, can, can my life actually make a difference? Like really? When you force, when you get these moments where you're, you're stepping into new ground or uncharted territory, you start asking yourselves these questions. And I wonder if I'm alone here this morning or if this is something that you've asked yourself from time to time. Not only do we have to wrestle with our own insecurity of do I have what it takes, but we have to then look at the, 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 our, our social feed of everyone else who seems to have it all figured out and everyone else who's got it all, they're, they're perfect and their life looks perfect and their ministry is perfect and their family is perfect and surely they have what it takes, but I don't have what it takes because if you looked at my life, if you looked at my failures, if you looked at my insecurity, surely they can do it, but not me. And this condition of comparison paralyzes us from doing something new, right? To, to risking, to stepping out in faith, and to trying something new. And the good news here today for you and I and those who are watching online, here's the good news. You're not alone. Come on. Isn't it good to know that we're not alone? Isn't it good to know that the same questions you've asked yourself are the same questions that your neighbors ask themselves and I've asked myself. Come on, these aren't new questions to humanity. These are questions that people have been asking themselves over and over and over again all throughout time, actually all the way to the very beginning of the Bible. And all throughout Scripture, you see story after story of men and women asking these types of questions. Do I have what it takes? Can I do this? Am I enough? And one story we're going to look at is a story of Moses. In Exodus 4, this there's so many ones we can pull on, but we're going to look at the story of Moses. And Moses had just had a God encounter. Remember last week we talked about how God reveals himself. And one of the ways that God reveals his purpose is through a God encounter. We talked about Saul on the road to Damascus, how God encountered undeniably, right, this encounter with Saul. Well, Moses had just such encounter. He's, he's out in the wilderness. He's, he's tending his flock. He's been there for 40 years, just kind of taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And all of a sudden, he notices a bush on fire that is not being consumed. And as he gets closer to investigate, he encounters God in a way that nobody else, documented at least, has ever encountered God since. And he encounters God in the form of a burning bush. Undeniable moment. And God called him to leave the comfort of his status quo life. Right? Come on. He's just, he's just a farmer. He's just a dude. He's out there. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's working the land. He's taking, it's not even his own sheep. He's looking after his father-in-law's sheep, his father-in-law's flock, and he's just doing his thing. He's there for 40 years. He grew up in Egypt. He grew up with Prince of Egypt. Now 40 years, he's in the wilderness. And God calls him out of the status quo life to go back to Egypt, to go back to the most powerful man in current history and ask him to let his people, the Israelites, go. Come on, this is the largest slave force in no man. These are the, this is the slave force that is, is, is really the backbone of building Pharaoh's elaborate 
kingdom. You want me to go to the most powerful man. You want me to go to the most powerful man in the known world and let him to let, let, him to let his free labor force go? Are you kidding me? And this is what God calls Moses to. And so we pick up his story in chapter 4 of Exodus. You can follow along if you want. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Moses answered, what if? How many people know that what if is can lead two different things, right? What if can lead to like, what if that works? That's amazing. Or what if it doesn't work? That stinks, right? It can go two ways. Like what if? Or what if? What if? What if? You know what I'm talking about? Anyone with me? So what if? Moses is having the what if moment over here, though. He's not full of faith. He's, he's an average dude. He's like, what if? He's on the, on the bottom side. What if? What if they fear me and do not believe me or listen to me? What the Lord said, what if they do not say the Lord appeared to you? Then the Lord said to them, what is in your hand? Listen, he's having this dialogue. We don't have time to get into this whole dialogue that Moses is having with God. But he's having this dialogue of why he's not good enough, why God can't use him, why he's not sufficient enough, why he's full of insecurities. What if they don't listen to me? What if they don't know that you talked to me? What if they don't know you sent me? And God, in this moment, just kind of shushes them off and says, listen, what, what, what's in your hand? What do you got? What, what, what's in your, what do you have available to you? And Moses replied, a staff, a stick, something he found probably along the way. And then the Lord said to him, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it, of course. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and, and take the snake by the tail. And so re Moses reached out, and he took a hold of the snake, and, he turned, and it turned back into a staff. This, the Lord said, is so that they believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And so in this moment, God is teaching Moses, but he's also teaching us a lesson. And I believe it's the same question that he's asking us today. If we want to be a church, if we want to be a people who wants to make a difference, I believe the simple question that God has been asking us is, what is in your hand? What, what have I given you? What is available to you? What is in your hand? What is in your responsibility? In a, in a, painful, in a world full of pain and, and brokenness and hopelessness, he's looking to the church. He's looking to you and I, the ones wrestling through our own insecurities, our own abilities, and, and asking this what-if questions. And he's asking us, what is in your hand? What have I given you? And here's the big idea. Here's a spoiler alert. Here's the thing I want you to remember is this idea that what's in your hand is enough when you are in the hands of God. It doesn't matter what it is. But what's in your hands is enough when you are in the hands of God. See, we serve a God who's more than enough. And when he's got you, you've got all you need to succeed. You've got everything you need to, to accomplish what he has called you to do, to fulfill the purpose he's predestined for you to do, that he's created you to do to make a difference in the lives of of others, and we're going to examine this in, through the story of Moses as we apply it to our heart. But the question I want you to be thinking to yourself throughout this morning is this idea of what is in your hands? What has God given you? What has God given you? And the first thought I want to present to you for consideration is this, is that what we retain in our hand reveals what's in our heart. What we retain, what we hold on to in our hands reveals What's in our heart and what's in our hand means anything that's in our control or care, right? Anything that is in our sphere of responsibility. This could be money, this could be possessions, it could be influence, skills, abilities, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your home, your influence, your relationships, whatever is in your hand. That is what God is asking for. And Moses, in Moses' situation, it was this staff, it was this 
stick. But more than that, it was also his relationship, his experience with Pharaoh. Remember, he grew up in Egypt. This, this current Pharaoh was sort of like his brother, growing up like a brother in, in Egypt. And so he had relationship with Pharaoh. He had experience there. And so God wanted to use his staff and also his history experience. And so we have this opportunity to know the end of the story. But here's the thing we need to know. If, what if Moses refused to believe that God could do anything with this simple stick? Let, let's not be mistaken. Moses was just a man. Right? This is before the, the, the big, you know, what we know Moses for, of like the, the, the setting Egypt free and going through the Red Sea and walking through the wilderness, leading people to the promised land. This is all pre that. We get to know the end of the story because we read the story. But for, like Moses is in the front side of this, and he's standing there 40 years later in the desert, forgotten by Egypt, forgotten by what his past life. It's a whole life. 40 years is a long time, right? 40 years, and he's tending his father's sheep. He's got a family. He's got kids. And he's out on his own with a stick in his hand, and God is calling him to go do something that seems ridiculous. That seems un, just like there's no way this is ever going to happen. And Moses has this choice. He has this choice to either to follow God and to, to obey Him or, or not. To, to believe that God can use him and, 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 and direct his steps or not. He was just a simple man presented with a choice. To look beyond what seemed rational and trust God with what he held in his hand. And here's what I wonder. I wonder how many of us overlook what God has given us to look at what God has given others. How many of us overlook the things that God has placed in our hands and long for the things that he's placed in others? How many of us minimize what God has given us and who we are saying that we'll never make a difference? We're not good enough or smart enough or strong enough or skilled enough or influenced enough. We don't have enough money. We don't have resources. How many of us cling to our insecurities and stare at our insufficiencies and dismiss the notion that God could ever use us? How many of us do that? How many times do we do that in the course of our lifetime? We do that. If we're going to be honest, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I do that. I do that. I have moments in my life when I say God is calling. I just don't know God. Can, me? Really? Me? And we have these moments where we have to ask ourselves, I mean, surely that person, well, if only, I, if only I had their skill, or if only I had their influence, if only I had their relational equity, if only I had their stuff, whatever the blank, fill in the blank, then, no, no, but God is saying, listen, I've created you. I've woven you, I've created you on purpose for a purpose, and I've given you what's in your hand, now will you give it back to me? So what happens is we minimize this creative work. When we do that, we minimize the creative work of God who formed us, you and me, and created us with purpose on purpose. When we minimize what he's called us to do, when we overlook what he's given us, we minimize the unique design that he's made you and I to be, the unique purpose he crafted us for. And so after many excuses, and after this dialogue that Moses has with God, which you don't have time to get into this morning, he chooses to trust God enough to let go and to go. He chooses to submit himself to God's plan, to submit his staff to God, what's in his hand, and go after God's plan. And so we pick up his story in verse, in verse 20. I mean, uh, yeah, verse 20 of chapter 4. He says, so Moses took his wife and his kids, his wife and his sons. I love that. I love that he didn't go alone. I love that he took his family with him. Hey, we're doing this together. Come on, God's called me, but he's called us. We're all going. We're going together. And he put them on a donkey, and I love this, and they started. Come on, how many people know that the first step to a destiny is to start? <laughs> you got to start. 
you got to take that first step. And it's scary at times, isn't it? It's intimidating at times. It's unsure at times. You don't know what you're going into. You don't know what you're going to read on the what you're going to see on the other side. But Moses started the journey. Started the journey back to Egypt. And I love this. And he took what? Not his staff. Not his stick. He took the staff of God. Come on, someone's got to get excited about this. Can you, know, can you know that when you submit your silly stick to God, it turns into a staff that God can use for God? Come on, whatever you have in your hand that seems silly, that seems contrite, that seems not enough, when you submit that into the hands of God, it becomes a tool that God can use for His glory. It's some silly stick that Moses found in the desert as he tripped over it one day, picked it up, used it, but God used it as he submitted his, what he had. This is what I got, God. It's all I got. And as he submitted it to God, then God took it and used it as a tool for God and became now the staff of God. Come on. That's exciting to me. So it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you think you don't have. Whatever God has put in your hand is enough when you are in the hands of God. When we fully submit what we have, it becomes a resource that God can use to make a difference. So here's the question. What has God put in your hand today? What is God asking you to do with that? That's the question, and that's the question that God needs to speak to every one of our hearts. And the other question then becomes the follow-up is, well, are you willing to trust God with it, to let it go, to do what his word says, to see what God can do through your faith and your obedience to his leading, and trust him with the outcome. And so what we retain in our hands, what we reveal, what we, we hold on to, what we retain in our hands reveals what's in our heart. And the second, as we release what's in our hands, as we let go of what's in our hand, then God releases what's in his. Come on, we all have something in our hands. You may, it may not be a stick, but it's influence, it's opportunity, it's talent, it's skills, it's time, it's resources. Whatever God has put in your hand, we all have something. For Samson, he had a donkey's jawbone. For, for Hannah, she had empty jars. For, for David, he had a sling and a stone. For the unnamed boy, he had five loaves and, and two fish. The apostle Paul had a pen. Moses had a staff. We all have something in our hands to offer to God, for God. And the thing that, that keeps all these things together is that they chose to release what was in their hands and allow God to release what was his. You, you pick up a story in Exodus 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them from his country, out of his country. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the Israelites from the Egyptians, or whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am their Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from the being slaves to them, and I'll redeem you with what? My outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. And here then begins this process, and begins this what we know as the ten plagues, right? These ten plagues of Egypt, and they kind of follow the same pattern, that when Moses places his staff in the water, God turns it to blood. Moses speaks, and God moves. Moses releases what's in his hands, and God then releases what's in his. And this principle, this reveals a biblical principle that the natural always precedes the supernatural. Do you hear me? The natural always precedes the supernatural. Not proceeds, not follows the supernatural, but precedes. Meaning, when you step out in faith, then God responds to your faith. Now I know, many of us would love the supernatural to lead the way and then our natural to follow after. It would be easier, wouldn't it? 
It'd be so much easier if God would just part the sea, prove that it's dry ground, and then we'll walk out. But what happened when Moses, Moses had to step into the sea. He had to step into the river before it could part. He had to step out in faith and obedience. And if you read scripture, if you look through scripture time and time and time again, it's always by the natural preceding the supernatural. David had to pick up the stone and fling the stone. And then it, that was a natural act. The supernatural act was that it hit Goliath with enough force to kill him, right? Come on, there's supernatural acts all the time. The natural act was you give God two loaves, I mean five loaves and two fish. The natural act, that's the natural act. The supernatural act is that God multiplies that. Scripture, time after time after time, the natural precedes the supernatural. It's this blended relationship that God wants you and I to have. And, and this is, happens over and over again. When we release what's in our hands, when we give God what he's given us, then he will take it and do the things that only he can do. Every move of the Spirit is instigated by human's faith and obedience in God to do the seemingly impossible. Come on, I know many of us are looking for a move of God. We're looking for God to move. But I honestly believe that God is up in heaven saying, I want to move, but you got to do something. Give me something to bless. Give me something to pour out my, my, my spirit on. Step out in faith and let me see what God can do. Give me what's in your hand and let me turn it into a tool that I can use. Right? You can't just sit back and say, well, I'll move, God, when you move. No, he's saying move. Step out in faith. Walk through the door of opportunity first and see what I can do. But I've never seen God move like that for me. Maybe you're saying, I've never seen that. I've never seen the power of God. Well, don't miss the God in the simple moments. I believe God is moving all the time. And I believe we can miss the supernatural by looking too intently for the spectacular. We're looking for these mountain movings, leg growing back experiences. But God is moving all the time as, 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 as husbands and wives re rekindle the relationship, as, as prodigal sons come home, as, as doors of opportunity and jobs open up and that raise came out of nowhere at just the right time. God is moving all the time. We just need to be aware to see it. Aware to see it and to recognize God moving. I don't know if people ever noticed the water turning into wine. I just think they all just drank it. Think there's more, there's more drink. I don't think people noticed where the food came from on the hill of Gal on, 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 when Jesus was teaching. All of a sudden just bread and fish showed up and where did this come from? I don't care. I'll eat it. People, we sometimes miss it, but this God is moving all the time. And this is just a principle I lead by or I, I've seen in my life is that the catalyst for spiritual formation, if you've ever seen Maybe you're in a season right now where you feel dry or feel like you're just stuck or you feel you're, you're, you're dead inside spiritually. You just feel like you're in a, like a holding pattern. You know what the best thing to do is just to serve. It's just to say, okay, well, I got time. I got this talent. I got this gift. I got this thing in my hand. I'm just going to give it to God and, and see what he can do. And I, here's the thing I know. When we give God what we have, he gives us what we need. I've seen it over and over again. When you give God what you have, right, he will give you what you need. When you give God your time, when you give God your talent, when you give God your treasure, when you give God what is available to you, it may just look like a simple stick, then God will give you what you need. And so in this story, we see that Pharaoh finally relents and he finally lets his people go, which leads us to our last point. The potential of what's in our hand is only made possible because of the power of his. The potential of what's in our hand is only made possible because of the power of his. And Moses now reminds the Israelites who really saved them. And hint, it was not his simple stick. It wasn't this stick. It wasn't Moses that saved them. Moses reminds them. He says, then Moses said to the people, this is the day to remember forever. 
the day you left Egypt, the place of slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by what? By the power of His mighty hand. You know, Jesus is always the hero in every story. Right? God uses men and women like you and I to accomplish His purpose, but ultimately at the end of the day, Whatever we do is only made possible because of the power of God's hand at work in our life. Anything that you and I do that has a lasting eternal impact, a lasting difference, is all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus is the hero in every story. It's never the church. It's never the community. God uses the church and he uses the community. He uses people in your life. But ultimately, it's the power of God at work in and through us that changes people, that restores people, redeems people, and sets people free. Come on. It's Jesus. And so Moses is reminding people, come on, this is who really sets you free. And I get it. In the craziest of life, it's, it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to forget that God is working on our behalf. It's so easy to forget that God's power is alive. And not only that God can use us, but that he actually wants to use us. It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to dismiss that. It's so easy to get focused on the things that are in front of us and forget that actually God wants to use me and what I have for his glory and for his kingdom. And so Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes this to remind them, because like you and I, they forgot. They forgot that there's more to life than just going to work, there's, than just keeping house and taking care of your yard and raising your kids. Those are all great things. Those are all good things. But there's more than that. There's a bigger purpose at play. There's a bigger difference at work that God is asking each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. And he prays this as a prayer. He says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination flooding you with light until you experience a full revelation of his hope, the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us. You and I, his holy ones. And I pray that you will continually, come on, say, continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of his immense power at work through us. Come on. God wants to use you. He wants to use me as followers, of, as, as his followers, to be an advertisement of his glory, an advertisement of his power, as we allow him to speak through us and lead through us through faith, as we position ourselves available. See, I believe God's calling us to make a difference. And I'm not talking about the big, spirit, the big spectacular moments, and, and those are great, and I believe God's going to lead us to these big spectacular moments, but you know what the biggest difference that makes? It's the continual difference every day in the lives of your family, and the continual difference in how you love your kids, and how you love your spouse, and how you love your coworkers, especially the ones that you don't like. <laughs> Especially the ones that get onto your skin, but how you continue to love them. Especially as you love the ones who have a different political view than you. Especially the ones who have a different a vaccine mandate than you. You've just got to love unconditional. That is what we are called to do. It's every day. It's every day. It's every day. And if you're like me, I can't do that on my own. I need the grace of God. I need his power at work in me first to overflow through me, Right? Anybody else like that? Like, I just can't do it on my own. I don't, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not loving enough. I need God's power at work in me to make a difference. And as we love faithfully, as we serve faithfully, as we care continually, God's power at work in us is going to use us to make a difference. So the overflow of what he's called us to do. And that's what I believe with my whole heart. So what's in your hand is enough when you are in the hands of God. So final thoughts, as we just review our points and just want to lead to a close. What we retain in our hands 
reveals what's in our hearts. Secondly, as we release what's in our hands, then God then releases what's in his. And thirdly, the potential of what's in our hands is only made possible because of the power of his. You see, breakthrough happens not only, sorry, breakthrough happens when we trust God with, what, with what's next, with, what, with our next step of what he placed in our hands today. What has he given you today? It may not look like much. It may just look like a, a simple stick. It may just look like a, a, a small gift. It may just look like a, a, a lunch. It may just look like a cup of coffee. It may just look like a phone call. It may not look like much, but when you give it to God, when you put it into the hands of God, he will use it for his kingdom and for his purposes. Ecclesiastes 9 tells us that whatever we find our hands to do, to do it with all of our might, to do it with all of our heart, to do it with our full heart as unto the Lord. So whatever you find your hands to do, use it with all your might. You might be surprised what God will do with it. See, at the end of the day, I, I believe that we are, our big difference, our biggest difference, Jesus calls us, is to be salt and light, right? It's to actually have a different response. It's to actually respond differently. Listen, if we respond the same way that those who do not have hope respond, then what difference does Jesus make in us? If, if we respond and we see things the way the world is responding, who don't know Jesus, and we have the same response and the same attitude and the same hatred and the same uh, anger and the same uh, venomous like, attack on one another, if we respond that way, then how is Jesus any, making us any different? We have to act like different. We're no longer like those who live in darkness. We're, the, we're called to like those who live in light. We're, we're called to be salt. We're called to be light. And so what I want to do is I just want to remind you again, what does it really look like to be a difference? I love Matthew. Jesus is speaking on the parable. Uh, he's speaking his sermon on the mountain. He talks about the light and salt. And I love the message version. It's so descriptive. And I just want to read it over you to remind you again what it means to make a difference and be a difference. He says, let me tell you why you're here. This is Jesus speaking. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. And here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. Listen, God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. And now that I put you on a hill, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others and by using what God has placed in your hands, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. And here's my prayer for you and I, is that the light of God would shine so bright and the salt of our language, the salt of our presence would, would lead and bring out the God flavor so much so in people's lives that would point people to Jesus. It would point people to Jesus. How are we going to make a difference? We're going to be salt. And we're going to be light. And if you're like me, I can't do that on my own. I need to be connected to the source every day. I need Jesus to fill me first so that I can overflow with others, to others around me. And so that's the invitation to make a difference. That's the invitation I'm inviting you on. And I'm asking you today, are you available? Are you willing to be used? What does God put in your hand? And as you give it back to God, what will God use you? And how will God use that to become a tool that he can use for his glory. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close in the song. And Roxanne's just going to lead us in a song, and it's really just a prayer. It's a prayer that says, God, here I am. I am available. 
Use me as you want me to. And if that is your prayer today, I want you to turn that into a prayer and submit your heart back to God and maybe realign yourself back into be used by God. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've focused on your own ways. But maybe this is an opportunity for us to realign our heart and say, God, I want, you to, I want to make a difference for you. And here's what I have. Here's what you put in my hands. Help me to give it back to you and trust you with what you've given me for your glory. Can we pray this? Father, we just give you our hearts. We recognize we're on a journey, God. We recognize that there are things that uh, we just need to be reminded again. We, we need to kind of realign our hearts again. And so in this moment, as we pray and as we sing, and as you reveal to us, as you speak to us, God, I pray that you would, uh, we would open up our ears to hear and you would give us the courage to respond. God, even in this moment, even throughout the week, that you would bring clarity to the things you've called us to and the unique design you've created us to live out, the purpose you've created us to live out that we would do it for your glory, that we would ultimately be salt and light in this world. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.